Hello, relatable listeners. Happy Friday. Hope you guys have had an awesome week. So I asked for questions on Instagram and you guys sent me a ton of them. We're going to do a Q&A episode today. I love the Q&A episodes and I hope you guys like them too. I've gotten good feedback about it because typically people ask questions that you yourself are wondering. Maybe you didn't know you were wondering it or maybe you just didn't want to ask, whatever it is. Um, I love answering you guys' questions. It's really fun. Uh, First, before we get into that, I do want to tell you, so a colleague of mine, Mark Levin, he has a book out right now. It's called Unfreedom of the Press and it's a book that uh, shines a light on the degeneration of America's free press into, this is what he says, a standardless profession that has squandered the faith and trust of the American public. And that is so true. If you have read any stories in the past two years, particularly in regard to President Trump, or if it has anything to do with guns or abortion, it's just so much misinformation and bad reporting. Uh, In typical Mark Levin fashion, he doesn't hold anything back. If you've ever heard him, you know that that's just his style, Uh, not in substance, not in quality, not in research. Uh, I promise that this book is going to deepen your understanding of the roots of journalism in our country and also where we are going in the future. He doesn't mince words. Uh, He looks at the partisan party press, which has gone completely off the rails through its own abandonment. This is his quote, abandonment of uh, reportorial. I can't even, I can't even pronounce all the books or all the words in his book, reportorial integrity and objective journalism. This is a book for every person, whether it's for you or maybe Father's Day is coming up. You've got a dad that loves Mark Levin. You can go to Amazon and check this out. It's Unfreedom of the Press. It is released on, it was released on May 21st. So make sure that you go check that out. Okay. Now I am going to answer some of your questions. And I I honestly, I don't know which questions I'm going to answer. I didn't plan this far in advance. Um, I didn't decide which questions I'm going to answer beforehand. I You sent them to me on Instagram. I'm just going to go through them and read some of the ones that I think are interesting. Um, how do you combat the men hating our society women tend to do? Uh, okay, I, I think I get what you're saying. So the like the man hating, the man bashing, the male bashing that our society tends to do. Well, this has been happening for a long time. If you watch sitcom sitcoms, even from like, uh, I don't know, the 1970s, 1980s, there, this phenomenon started of uh, depicting dads like idiots, depicting dads like fools who didn't know what they were doing and the moms had it all together. And so this kind of degeneration of masculinity and responsible fatherhood and manhood has been happening for a long time. And it's unfortunately this idea that in order to uplift women, you have to make men look bad. When really, as I've said many times, if you have to make a man look bad in order for you as a woman to look good, it probably says a lot more about your inadequacy than his. So that's how I see it. I mean, the Bible obviously speaks a lot to the difference in a man's role and a woman's role. They are both made equally in the image of God. A woman has a very specific and unique and wonderful role uh, in the church and in the eyes of God. It's not the same as a man, but it is equally uh, worthy and equally dignified and equally worthy of respect. But a man is always going to have different strengths than a woman does. And those are meant to be complimented by women, uh, compliment with an E, not necessarily necessarily an eye, although you can do that kind of compliment too, and not to be torn down. The emasculation of men starting really uh, in grade school is something that we have seen increase, I think, over the past decade or so in an effort 
to try to make, I don't know, try to make society more egalitarian. It is what I always say. It's an effort of equality through homogeny. So a lot of people on the left think the only way that we are going to be equal, the only way to get rid of all oppression and all inequality is to make men and women essentially the same. So gender doesn't really matter. There's really no difference between a man and a woman. A man can compete who identifies as a woman can compete against a biological woman in sports. It's just kind of this idea that if we make all men and women the exact same and we convince children that there is no difference, then maybe there won't be any disparity. But that's obviously not going to be true. Men and women, girls and boys are different from uh, the womb. They start developing differently. Their minds work differently. And so I would say uh, a true woman, a woman who is uh, confident in her femininity, confident in her unique role in society, you've got a unique role um, as a nurturer and as a communicator, as someone who beautifies well. And that's not to typify all women as the exact same because we're not, but we do have unique strengths. Um, someone who is confident in those positions can look at a man and say, I am thankful for his strength, for his ability to protect and preserve and to do the things that, quite frankly, women just don't have the strength and ability to do as well in many contexts. Uh, if we are confident in ourselves and as Christians, if we are confident in God and how God made us, we should have no problem to we should have no problem deferring to the strengths that men have that we just don't. As a religious person, do we have any basis for putting our beliefs onto non-believers? So it depends on what you mean by uh, putting our beliefs on non-believers. Of course, you can't force anyone to believe anything, but we as believers believe that all truth comes from God. All goodness comes from God. All morality comes from God. So whether someone knows it or not, if they are acting in a way that is in accordance to scripture, again, whether they know it or not, they are uh, living in accordance to what God says is good and right and true. A lot of people say, oh, separation of church and state, that doesn't mean that our laws should not reflect God's goodness. The very founding of this country uh, was reflected or was built upon the Bible. Separation of church and state is not the same thing as separating biblical principles uh, from state or separating biblical principles from how we live our lives or how we dictate what is good and what is not. God dictates morality. God dictates truth. And you can't escape from that, whether you're a believer or not. So I don't know if that's so much of putting on our belief to non-believers is just acknowledging reality. Um, long distance relationships. So this is not a question, just long distance relationships. I imagine they're really hard. I don't know if I've ever been in a long distance relationship. Uh, if it's worth it, it's worth it. I know a lot of people have made it work. I think communication is key. Managing expectations is key. And if you are off kilter with communication or expectations, um, it's going to be really difficult. But if it's worth it, if this person is, if you're a Christian and this person is pursuing the Lord, you're pursuing the Lord. And this is a right and good and glorifying relationship. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I would encourage you to reconcile the distance as soon as you possibly can and get married if you are in a position to uh, get married. Uh, were you always a Calvinist? I probably always have been a Calvinist, but didn't really know. It wasn't until I was in high school that I kind of uh, was influenced by this young, restless reformed movement that was happening right at the time that I was about a sophomore or a junior. I started reading the Bible for myself, mostly when I was a junior in high school. 
And it just happened to be that Romans was my favorite book at the time. And I think it kind of pointed me in that direction without really knowing it. And the teachers that I was listening to that were reformed and I just didn't know. I wouldn't have called myself a Calvinist, but I have always had the reformed bent, which tends to be uh, Calvinist. Uh, what has been your favorite college to visit? Oh, my favorite college to visit. Oh, that's hard to, that's really hard to say. There have been so many fun colleges. I love every college that I go to. Now, one of the most difficult and strangest ones was probably Cornell. Uh, one of the best ones was Grand Canyon University. And yeah, everyone is different. I mean, the students are great. You've got great students and apathetic students at every university, but, um, yeah, I would probably say, I don't know. Well, actually, I went to West Virginia too, and that was great. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to say. What is my opinion on dating apps? I was just talking to my friend about this earlier this week. So this is where I officially start to feel old um, because I started, I, I started dating my husband a little bit, I would say, a little bit before dating apps became extremely popular. Now, people did have dating apps. I wasn't on a dating app. I think I downloaded, I think I downloaded it like a Bumble or whatever it was, like one night when I was single. Um, but I don't remember ever, I, I never met anyone. I don't even remember ever using it. So I just am not super familiar with it. Here's what I think. I don't think it's necessarily... I don't think, maybe I don't know enough about it. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. It sounds very exhausting. That's what it sounds like. It sounds extremely exhausting. I could see how you would kind of get addicted to the affirmation that you get from dating apps, which is a very superficial affirmation. I also could see how it could be very disheartening if you don't see anyone that you like on there. You're not getting the affirmation that you think that you deserve on the dating app. It just seems a really difficult way to date. But I also know people for whom it has worked and they have built relationships off of it. They ended up meeting an awesome person who is like-minded, who shared their faith and shared their values and it worked for them. That's awesome. Um, so I think it is different for different people. Do I think it's probably better and going to be better for you if you meet someone that you that a friend knows or meet someone at church or meet someone at some kind of community event? Probably because you already know that you're like-minded in some way. And you don't have to judge that person immediately off of, you know, a two-dimensional profile on your phone. And you don't have to go through this disheartening cycle of swiping and dates and all of that. But like I said, it's worked for some people. I don't really have necessarily like a biblical perspective on whether it's right or wrong. I think it's just uh, different. So someone said refuting arguments on bodily autonomy for abortion. I've talked about this many times. I would go back and look at uh, previous episodes on abortion. Um, do I think that God has a sense of humor? That is an interesting question. Well, I would say that God created humor. He created joy. He created, I think, laughing is a gift of common grace. And so perhaps, I don't know how exactly that would look now, the Bible does say that God laughs at the wicked. I don't think that's like a hearty ha-ha laugh, like he finds it humorous, but that was the only thing that popped into my head that, okay, we know that God laughs. Now, whether that's a figure of speech, anyway, probably, I again, I don't know how that would manifest itself, but sure, maybe. Have I had my wisdom teeth removed? Uh, if so, any funny stories? I have had my wisdom teeth removed. It wasn't really a funny story. I had a really 
uh, short recovery time. Had my wisdom teeth removed when I was in high school. I think that I was living life again a few days later. That was that was terrible. High school is just like a rough time. Would you ever run for public office? Probably not. I mean, I never say never to anything. Well, I can probably say that I'll never I'll never be a rocket scientist. I'll probably say that I could probably say that I'll never be a math teacher. I could probably say that I would never do things like that because I'm bad at them. I won't say that I'll never run for public office because I don't know. I will tell you very frankly, very honestly, I'm not being coy about this at all. I currently have no desire for that. I just don't have any desire. I like being in this space. I find the idea of running for public office to be very restrictive and what I can do with my career. That doesn't mean never though. There could certainly be a time where I feel called to go into that and that'll be awesome and great and all for the glory of God. Wonderful. But right now I have absolutely no inclination and no plans to do that whatsoever. Quite frankly, it sounds really boring, but if I get called, if I'm, you know, called to do that, then fine. Uh, do I find it even harder to stomach the abortion issue while pregnant? Yes. Yes, I certainly do. Because I think a lot of people, people always say, oh, people who are pro, who are pro-life, they're all these men. They're all these men who don't know anything about getting pregnant. Well, I actually think the majority of people who are pro-choice have never been pregnant. That's my assessment. I don't know that for sure, but that's what it seems like because you got a lot of biological ignorance coming from some people uh, on that pro-choice side who just don't know anything about a sperm and an egg and how conception works and gestation. I'm like, okay, these people have never been pregnant. When they think of like, they think of like a 10 week uh, fetus, 10 week gestation, they literally think that's a clump of cells. No, at 11 and a half weeks, we had a sonogram, arms, legs, head, brain, lungs, spine, heart moving around. I mean, literally just looks like a little tiny baby, but looks exactly how she will look when she's born, just a lot smaller and skinnier. People just don't know anything about pregnancy. It's really amazing. And so it's very hard for me to, you know, see my child on an ultrasound at such an early point to have felt my child move inside my womb since, I don't know, before 20 weeks pregnant. And most abortions happen before 24 weeks and people say, oh, that's totally fine. I'm like, 24 weeks is really far along. Like you've been feeling your child move for a long time at that point. Like there's no denying the humanity of what you've got inside of you. So when people talk about this stuff and people say, oh, well, only very few, only very few abortions happen at full term. Uh, that, you know, just very rarely happens. I'm like, full term, are you kidding me? Like my child doesn't leave my insides alone. She's constantly moving. Like if I put my hand on my stomach when she moves a certain way, I can tell which body part is where. It's crazy. Like I, I can't describe, I was telling my husband this, like I can't describe what you feel for your child that you haven't met. Obviously it's love. Obviously it's love. Like as soon as you pee on that stick and you see the two lines or whatever it is, and mine was digital, it said pregnant. Um, you have this intense feeling of protection over what is inside of you or else you should. Of course, not every woman feels like that or else they wouldn't have an abortion. But most women feel this intense sense of protection of everything changes. 
you think about your travel schedule, you think about your sleep, you think about what you eat, you obviously think about what you drink, you think about how often you go outside, how often you stand up, you think about all of these things. What if someone tries to touch my stomach? What if someone randomly punches me in an airport? All these illogical, paranoid things, but you think about, I am going to protect this child at all costs. And that does not stop. That feeling just gets stronger and stronger the longer that you're pregnant. You start thinking about all the things that you're going to teach them. You're going to think about, okay, how am I going to refute these lies in their life? How am I going to make sure that they know Christ? Like the personhood, even though they're a person from conception, the personhood and the reality of who they are as an individual increases the longer that you are pregnant, not only their humanity and their physical strength and their weight inside the womb, but also who they are as a soul. And so it's very hard to see people just discount what is inside me as nothing if I think that she's nothing. What? No, she's been an individual from the very beginning that is worthy of my protection and worthy of my care, whether or not I ever wanted to give it. But of course I have. And so, yes, I I would say that it's harder as a pregnant person to hear all of these crazy arguments and the people who really know nothing about pregnancy whatsoever talk as if they do. It's really crazy. If I could meet one American in history, who would it be and why? American. Okay. Oh, I would, my first inclination is to say Ronald Reagan. I love Ronald Reagan, but I'm a little afraid of that. I'm I'm afraid that I would meet someone that I've idolized, not truly idolized, but you know, admired and that I would be disappointed. And so I don't want that to happen. Well, it'd be great to meet a founder. I should probably go back like, I, or maybe like George Washington, it would be awesome to meet George Washington and just to know what was it like back then? What was it like when the country was founded? Where, where did we go wrong? Can you help us? I think that would probably, probably one of the founders. Um, let's see. Have you ever vaped? No, I've never vaped. I don't even really know what it is. Um, So this is a really hard question that I get a lot. And while you're not going to expect what I'm about to say, because it doesn't sound like a hard question, but I'll explain why. So someone says, who are the females you most look up to or agree with? So there aren't a lot of women who have gone before me who do what I do, because I'm not a political commentator exclusively. I'm not, I don't only talk about theological things or Christian, strictly Christian, church-related, Bible-related things. I talk about both. And I talk about how the Bible influences how we think about culture and how we think about politics. And there is not, there are plenty of men that I can look to that are much smarter than me, much wiser than me, have much bigger platforms than I do, who have gone before me, and who I can look to to say, okay, that's a good example. There are not very many women who I can say, who have gone before me and say, oh, I can look to that person and she's doing what I'm doing, which is totally fine. That's, that's, that's fine. I don't need a woman to look to in that regard, but there's, there's just not, there's just not. Now there are other women that I admire a lot and who do different things than I do. I really admire Nikki Haley. I really admire Carly Fiorina. I think they're two extremely strong, confident women that I can learn a lot about from a leadership perspective. And I think that that is awesome. So those are two people that I would say that I look to and uh, can learn from. 
women are interesting. Women are interesting. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, teen mom fan. I don't know what that is. Is that a TV show? I don't know if I'm a fan of it. Uh, should Christians date in high school? Uh, it's so hard to say. I mean, I know Christian couples that ended up getting married. They dated in high school. That's awesome. Now I look back at my high school relationships and I wish that I hadn't. It depends on how mature you are. I wasn't, I guess I just wasn't very mature in high school. I mean, I was probably just a typical high schooler. So I dated stupid people that I, you know, didn't really care anything about, at least for the most part, or I did at the time, but I look back and I'm like, those relationships weren't beneficial in the slightest. And so it just, it totally depends. I think the purpose of dating is to get married. And I wish I had had that perspective. Um, if you are ready in high school, spiritually ready, emotionally ready to find the person that you want to marry, then I would say go for it. If not, I'm just not sure how much uh, benefit you're going to get out of dating someone when you are 16 years old. Someone says, am I vegan? I don't know what gave you that impression. I talk about Chick-fil-A a lot. So no, I am not vegan at all. Uh, do I have a favorite book? Hmm. Do I have a favorite book? Uh, I, I love mere Christianity. I know that's pretty basic, but that's always been one of my uh, favorite books of all time. Wow. I'm totally blanking on like what my favorite fiction book is. I read so much fiction in high school. I don't know. I like grapes of wrath. I think that's a great book. Um, a favorite of all time. I used to love Francine Rivers. I haven't read her since high school either, but I used to love Francine Rivers. Now, some of the stuff now, looking back, I'm like, okay, that was probably emotionally unhealthy, like how attached we got to like Francine Rivers, like romantic characters, but she can write a really good historical fiction book. Um, I used to read fiction all of the time in high school. And then when I was in college and after college, it turned to a lot of nonfiction. But I do think reading fiction is extremely important. Um, let's see. How many kids do you want? How many kids do I want? I don't know. We've always said four. We would like to adopt as well. But, you know, being pregnant is not the most fun thing that I've ever done in the world. So... It's kind of like, okay, three more times, two more times. That's a lot. Obviously, we would totally do it, and it's all incredibly worth it. Uh, but I, I don't know. We definitely want more than two. We don't know how many we would adopt versus biological, um, but we'll see. Uh, oh, someone else asked. Myers-Briggs personality type? I don't actually know. I think I am an introvert. Uh, I think that I am, I don't, I don't know all of them. I don't know. I think I judge over feeling what I don't perceive. I have no idea. I don't know, but I know that I'm an introvert. I know that my first letter is I, but that's because I get energy from being by myself rather than being around other people. I'm definitely an extroverted introvert. So when I am around other people, I can really turn it on and I can talk to anyone, but I am totally fine being by myself all day. Do not have to see a soul, never get restless or get stir crazy or like, oh my gosh, I need to see human life. Nope. Don't need to. I'm totally fine by myself. Um, 
who is my favorite theologian or pastor? When I have a question about something that I don't know, someone's wisdom that I really trust is John Piper. Um, I really like Legionnaire or Legionnaire. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce it. Uh, Ministries by R.C. Sproul or R.C. Sproul, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Those are uh, two people that I would go to, of course, always going to scripture as the ultimate authority. But those are two people that I would look at and say, OK, they've got a lot of wisdom and they have a high view of the word of God. And I trust their discernment to kind of help guide me through what scripture says about this complex issue or question. I like John MacArthur as well. So those are some resources uh, that I use. Um Advice for a young man waiting to find a lady of your quality level. Well, thank you very much. I promise you, I didn't even read that whole (laughs) question before I said it. So I hope you guys don't think that I picked it for to flatter myself Um, for a young man waiting to find a lady. So I would put yourself in situations as much as you can in which quality women of God will be. So that means church. That means small groups. That does not mean that you only go to church and small group to find a a wife. That is not what I mean at all. But of course, if you want a fellowship with believers and you want to get to know believers, then it's good to hang out uh, where other believers are. One thing, of course, that I will say is that dating is not going to satisfy you. Even marriage won't satisfy you. It's not wrong to long for marriage and to long for a godly companion, of course, but our satisfaction does uh, come in Christ alone. And so, of course, I would say to focus on Christ and um, you can, I think that it's okay to pray for a wife as long as we are not idolizing being married or idolizing having a future spouse. And so that's what I would do. I would, I would, uh, I would seep yourself, steep yourself in the word of God. I would follow his commands. I would be as obedient as you possibly can through the Holy Spirit to God. Uh, of course, fellowship with other believers. And if it is God's will for you to be married, I believe that that uh, will happen. Have you and your husband ever had any big fights, arguments? If so, what was it? I don't know if we've had like one big fight, but we certainly have arguments and it's typically over who is nagging who. (laughs) I'll just be really real about that. That's like our, that's our argument. Who is nagging who? Because he will tell, he will remind me of something that I really don't want to be reminded of. It's like already in my head and I'm going to do it at some point. I just haven't done it yet. Or I know that I need to do that and I don't want to be reminded of it. And I feel like he's nagging me and there are plenty of times where I do that to him too. But we both feel that we are justified in reminding the other person what they said that we were going to do. And we just find ourselves sometimes going in circles being like, you're nagging me. No, you're nagging me and I don't want to be nagged. But how do we make sure that these things get done? So... That has kind of been like our point of contention, but he is awesome and he is really humble and he is the one to say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I do need to do that thing that I said that I was going to do. And that uh, speaks really highly, I think, of his character and his leadership as a Christian husband. And then that causes me to say, okay, okay, you're right. And thank you. And you're right. I need to do this thing too. It is bad that I haven't done that yet. Even though I said that I was going to, that does speak, you know, poorly to my character or commitment, whatever it is that he has reminded me that I need to do. So that is like, I would say our recent bout of arguments of like who has done what, 
uh, who has like done the things that they're supposed to do around the house without being nagged, that would be an argument that we have. But he's really good at reconciling that and making uh, making peace with that. Um, I am praying for you. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. A lot of you guys say that, and that is more valuable to me than you know. Uh, what is the hardest thing about being in the public eye? Um, I think just knowing that there are so many people that that hate you, and that if you if something bad happened to you, that there are lots of people that would rejoice, and lots of people that would be extremely happy to see you fail, or happy to see something bad happen to you. That's not like a great feeling. Um, I would say that's the hardest, that's the hardest thing. And just also knowing that people, how evil people are online, the things that they'll say, the things that they'll do to bring you down and nothing is off limits for them. Of course, that makes me even more protective of my family and of my child. This is something that I've told you guys before, but I'll just say again, um, I'm not sharing the name of my child. I am not going to share her face on social media. It makes me really sad that that's the choice that I have to make because 99.9% of you who follow me and listen to my podcast, I'm sure uh, are totally trustworthy. And I would love to share my daughter with you guys. This is an exciting time and I count you guys as friends. And I just wish that I could, you know, send this picture directly to you and be like, oh, look how great and perfect she is. Here's her name and here's, you know, all this stuff. I wish that I could do that, but I just just don't trust so many people on the internet and what they do with that information and what they do with those pictures. I just don't trust it. So no social media, no name revealing, unfortunately, um, because of that. And that is a hard part, I would say, about being in the public eye. Someone asks me another question in that vein, which says, how do you deal with all of the hate online? If you guys have been following me for even a short amount of time, you guys saw that there were uh, a couple weeks ago, there were trolls on Facebook uh, telling me that, you know, I've gained weight in pregnancy and just being so cruel about it. So unbelievably heartless. And these are as I've said before, these are people who live in their parents' basement and are 50 years old and have never been loved or wanted probably in their lives except for by their mommy. So I understand, cognitively, I understand that I shouldn't care what these people think. But when your insecurities are on display, when people poke at your insecurities publicly, uh, that can be really hard. So most of the time I let this stuff roll off. Like I'm very confident in who I am in Christ. I have a family that loves me a lot. I have a husband who loves me and who I love. I am growing a human inside me. Like I've got purpose so far outside of what people on the internet say about me, but that's, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt my feelings. Of course it hurts my feelings sometimes, but yeah, I just got to remember the bigger picture and I just got to remember who I am and what is really important. Uh, someone says best advice for newlyweds 37 days out. Well, congratulations. Marriage is awesome. Do not let anyone tell you that marriage is not awesome. It is awesome. If you are marrying the person that God has called you to marry, marriage is amazing. If you are marrying a godly person, marriage is amazing. I love marriage and I'm not exaggerating. I love marriage. Most of you know that my husband and I dated for five months. We're engaged for four months. We didn't even know each other a full year by the time I walked down the aisle and I have never looked back. That's not everyone's story. So that's not to say that everyone has to do it like we did to be right. Certainly not. Everyone's situation is different, but I knew extremely early on that he was the person that I wanted to marry. And I've never one time questioned that or doubted. 
and I love marriage. There has never been a moment where I have said, "Mm, being single would be awesome. Having more freedom would be awesome. I wish that I wasn't married. I wish I was dating or something like that. I've never, ever thought that. I love being married. I love hanging out with my husband and the fights that you have, the arguments that you have, the nagging that you go through. The There are times, of course, that you look at your spouse and you're like, you're so annoying. Why do you think the way that you do? Or why do you say the things that you do? And there are times where your spouse is going to do that to you. That's just a part of living together and knowing someone so intimately. But gosh, all of that completely, completely pales in comparison to how fun it is to hang out with your best friend all day, every day, and to know that you get to go to sleep next to and wake up next to the love of your life. Even when those honeymoon feelings fade, even when things get hard, even when, um, you look at that person and you're annoyed with them, when you're frustrated with them, when maybe you even realize, you are different in this regard than I thought when we first got married. It's all okay. It's all part of it. Stay rooted in Christ. Uh, pray together. Read scripture together. At least share what you're talking about uh, in scripture and what you're praying about. Rely on each other. Realize you're not self-sufficient. You are no longer your own. The Bible says you belong to your husband and your husband belongs to you. You are one of each other. You are one flesh. Uh, So you are one now. You are united. Act like that. The world will tell you, even Christians in the world will tell you, so-called Christians will tell you that you've got to reclaim your identity. You've got to reclaim your individuality. You've got to reclaim your life for what it is and take charge of yourself. Remember that you're not just your husband's. No, no, no. You are your husband's and your husband is yours. That doesn't mean that you don't have a personality. doesn't mean that you don't have preferences, but it's not your own schedule. It is not your own life anymore. Uh, You are on a joint journey together. You might have different jobs. You might have some different dreams. You might have some different goals. But at the end of the day, they are combined. They are inextricably intertwined. Uh, Rejoice in that instead of despairing that. It's not about your convenience anymore. You guys are one. And embrace that. It's awesome. I love that being married. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Okay. That's all. (laughs) I feel so bad. I literally have hundreds of messages that I'm looking at right now and I didn't get to them. So I'll just have to save them and use them for later. Um, I really wish some of these are so good. I'm so sorry that I didn't get to all of your, all of your questions, but I love you guys. I will see you on Monday for theology Monday and have a great weekend. 